very special week in the Christian church calendar. Um, A lot of reflection, a lot of powerful things to take in. And so uh, that's my encouragement to you today, uh, is just take it in. Uh, You've heard it from Zach, you heard it from Katie. Uh, We just want to take in everything that Jesus has done, what the sacrifice he made for us, and let it form us. Let it form us into his image Uh, to be more and more like him. How many of you guys went to see, when it first came out, you saw the Passion of the Christ in theaters? You guys saw, okay. Okay, so quite a few of you. So you probably had a similar experience as me. I remember, um, man, it it was heavy. So we were with our youth group. We were actually in Florida doing ministry down there. And we all decided, hey, let's go. You know, we're going to go see this Christian movie together, Passion of the Christ. Yay! Um, (laughs) We had no idea what we were getting into. So we all go to the theater. The theater's pretty full. Like, it's it's a pretty full, because it was the opening weekend. And so it was a pretty full theater. We all sit down. People have popcorn. And I knew well enough to not, like, have popcorn for this movie. But there was people with popcorn. It's like, okay, that's going to be interesting. (laughs) Anyways. Um, So we're sitting there, and the movie starts, and it gets into it, and we start watching it. And, man, it is just heavy, and it is just hitting my heart. And I just, I'm just weeping. I'm just crying, like, the whole time. I'm just a big ball of tears. And so... I'm just taking it all in. It's just overwhelming, you know, sobbing, weeping. Um, we watch the whole movie, and then the credits begin to roll, and no one moves. Like, the whole theater. Like, they just couldn't, you couldn't do anything. Like, it was just so shocking to your heart to see what Christ endured. And so we're sitting there, and the credits are rolling, and people, you hear, like, people sobbing still and, like, sniffles and, like, all this stuff. And credits continue to roll and, like, no one's getting up. Like, they just, no one wants to be that person, you know. And so finally, the credits finish. Like, there's nothing left. The screen is blank. And then finally, like, some people have enough courage and they stand up and they start making their way out. And we're all just, our group is sitting in the same couple of rows. And we're just sitting there like this and crying, and people are leaving, and they're still crying, and they're, you know, coming out, and all this stuff, and so we come out, and we we go to the vans that we're traveling in, and we couldn't even, we just had to sit there, we just had to talk, and like, just kind of talk out what that meant to us, and, and just how it hit us, and it was so powerful, and I remember this process that happened in my heart as I was watching this, um, And it started with just overwhelming sorrow, just like, just sad, like so sad watching Jesus endure this suffering and this pain and this torment. So I'm just sad and sorrowful. But then something shifted in me and that sorrow started turning to a deep rooted gratitude. 
like just overwhelmed with gratitude for what Christ had done. I mean, just shocking to the, to the deepest core of who I was. And then from there, that turned into worship, into praise, just adoration, like, wow, you know, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And, um, and then ultimately, it led to this feeling of resolution, like Jesus set his face resolutely for Jerusalem, this resolution that I made within my heart that I am going to live every ounce of my life for Jesus. Like just, I'm all, I'm all in. I'm all in. And I think a lot of times in Western culture, we want to avoid the discomfort that comes, right, from, from sorrow and sadness and pain. And lament, though, was a huge part of Jewish culture a massive, there's a book, Lamentations. There's a whole book in the Bible about lamenting, you know. But no one wants to talk about that because it's, it is, it's sad. I mean, Jeremiah was considered the weeping prophet. I mean, th there's a lot of sadness. David, half of his psalms were laments of just crying out to God in just this anguish and sorrow. But there is something God has for us in that place. There is something powerful in a space of lamenting. Uh, and I want to receive all that God has for me. And even if it includes moments and seasons of just being uncomfortable, um, if God's for it, then I want it, right? Amen? And so uh, my encouragement for you uh, is to let God do that work in your heart, to not avoid moments of lamenting like I think a lot of times in you know in church we'll we have like Palm Sunday and it's like hey Palm Sunday Jesus came into Jerusalem yay Palm Sunday woo fun fun and then Easter Sunday yay Easter it's like celebration and celebration and then just a real quick Good Friday kind of tip of the hat you know like and then Good Friday happened but but he rose from the grave yay you know and you can just get over it real quick you know um, and so we're trying to, like, we try to get over those moments and those seasons. Uh, but I, my encouragement to you is sit. And as, as uncomfortable it is, sit in those moments and just see what God does and see if something new gets imparted to you. So the title of my message this morning is The Passion. The Passion. And so last week we left off in Luke 9:51 where Jesus as i said before set his sights on Jerusalem resolutely he's like i'm going there the place of his death i'm going that's where i'm headed i know why i'm here i know who i am and i am going to Jerusalem and i know what awaits me there but i came to give my life and he knew that and he was going there he was not avoiding it he wasn't avoiding the discomfort that would come because of it, the suffering that would come. He knew what he was called to do, and he set his mind up resolutely to go to Jerusalem to endure whatever came for the sake of his people and because of his love for us and his love for the Father. And so Jesus made up his mind. He's, he's headed to Jerusalem. So finally the time comes where he's about to enter in Jerusalem. 
right? And all the crowds gather up. This is Palm Sunday, right? They all gather up and they have their palm branches and they're all excited. Yay, the prophet is coming. Yay, he's coming to Jerusalem. And so they start laying down their palm branches and their clothes along the road. And Jesus is riding in on his donkey and he's receiving all this praise. Hosanna in the highest, the God who saves. And all these people are excited because they think Jesus, he's going to be the conquering hero, right? He's going to overthrow the Roman oppressors and now we're going to have freedom and they're all excited. They don't realize what God had asked of him to be a suffering servant, right? So he's coming in and he's riding on this donkey and it says in John 2 that he hears all this praise and all these people want to believe in him because of his miracles and his signs and wonders, but he did not entrust himself to them. He did not entrust himself to them because the Bible says he knew what was in their hearts. Because the same people who were shouting Hosanna five days later are saying crucify him. So he knew what was coming. So Jesus comes in. There's this huge crowd. Everyone's excited. The Pharisees are concerned. But then Jesus goes right into the temple and just throws down. So Jesus comes in. He sees the temple of God, which is meant to be a house of prayer, turned into a marketplace. They're selling goats for sacrifices and doves, and there's money changers exchanging money because you had to have the particular type of money to buy the sacrifice you need to make it. So they were, they were having people from all over coming in. They're exchanging money. This is huge marketplace in the temple of God. So Jesus gets outraged. He makes a whip. He literally made a whip. Isn't that crazy? Jesus made a whip. So he made a whip of cords, and he starts just whipping the animals and said, get out of here. And he's, I mean, he is angry, just fuming. And so he's pulling the animals out, and he's saying, take away these doves. He said, you've, this is meant to, my father's house is meant to be a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a marketplace. And he's screaming at the top of his lungs and he's whipping all this stuff and he throws over the money changers' tables, scattering their coins everywhere. So the Pharisees get really upset. The religious leaders come to Jesus. They say, by what authority do you do this? And Jesus said, you tear down this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. And there's like, you can't tear down this temple. It took 40 years to build, but Jesus was talking about his body. I'm the proof. My, my resurrection, that's the proof that I have authority to do this. And so, and the disciples see this taking place and they remember the scripture that says, zeal for your house burns within me. So Jesus comes in, he throws over the temple. And so then the religious leaders are, are really after him. I mean, they already were, but now it's just even more so. So then they start questioning him. They send out their best people. So they send the Pharisees out to question him. Jesus just makes them look dumb and foolish. And he answers their question perfectly. The Sadducees come out, they test him. He answers their question perfectly. The lawyers come out, they test him. He answers their question perfectly. And then he poses a question to them that they can't answer. So they look really foolish in front of everyone. That makes them even more angry. And they're like, we need to kill this man. Like, kill him. Not quiet him, kill him. So they've made up their mind, we're going to take him out. That's what we need to do. So finally, we get to the night before his crucifixion. He goes to the, to the upper room with his disciples, sits down for the Last Supper. This is where we get communion. Jesus sits down with his disciples. He breaks the bread. 
He says, take and eat, this is my body. Now, he had said to them over and over again, hey, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And he'd been telling his disciples, but they just weren't getting it. And I think finally, it's starting to sink in, because they're seeing the crowd turn, and they're seeing the religious leaders turn, and they're seeing that Jesus is stepping right into it, and he just keeps going. So I think it's starting to sink in with them. He says, this is my body, broken for you. Every time you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. This, this wine, this is my blood, which is poured out for the remissions of sins. Every time you drink of it, do it to remember me. So this somber feeling is coming over the disciples in this moment. And then Jesus said, becomes exceedingly sorrowful, and he cries out at the table, surely one of you will betray me. And they're all like, what? So they start questioning each other. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And they're, they're having this conversation. And then Judas asks Jesus. They start asking Jesus, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And then Judas, Judas asks him, which I, why did he do that? I don't know. But he asks Jesus, is it, is it I? And Jesus says, yeah, you've said it. Now go and do what you do, do quickly. Judas gets up from the table. He goes off to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So this moment is very somber. Jesus takes his disciples and they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And at this point, he tells them all, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. Like, I don't know if we've, any of us have ever experienced sorrow to the point of death. But Jesus is in that moment. And I believe he's taking upon him the sin of the world. And so he tells them that. He says, stay, watch, and pray with me. And they go out to this olive grove. And then he goes further with three of his disciples, his closest, Peter, James, and John. And then he says, stay up, watch, and pray with me, please. He's like, guys, I need you. This is, this is the moment. I need you. Please. And it says he goes a stone's throw away from them. He falls on his face to the ground and begins to cry out to God. He says, Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. We have to remember, Jesus was a human. He was a man. He felt everything that we feel. There wasn't, he wasn't like a superhuman. All the emotion, the weight of the sin of the world, the suffering and the sorrow that awaited him, God, if there is any other way, I, I'm open. He says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, no matter what that means for me. And then he goes back to his three, and he finds them sleeping. He says, Peter, could you not wait with me one hour? says, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Pray, watch and pray. He goes off again. He prays the same prayer again. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He goes back to his three. They're asleep again. And so this time he just leaves them. And he goes back and he prays for the third time. And the Bible says that he was under so much pressure in that moment that he began to sweat great drops of blood. 
And it's a medical condition called hematidrosis. And it's when you have so much stress on your body, anxiety, whatever it is, that your blood vessels literally burst and it mixes with your sweat. And you sweat blood. So Jesus is there under this pressure. He's praying this prayer, crying out to God. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will, God. Whatever this means for me. He submits himself to the Lord. No matter what the discomfort, no matter what the pain. And he comes back to his disciples. And this time you see that resolution back in Jesus again. And he says, hey, you still sleeping? Get up. Behold, my betrayer is coming. Let's go meet him. And they goes over and you see Judas coming with a trail of torches behind him. The temple guards comes and he tells the, tell the guards, he says, the one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. So he comes up to Jesus, he says, hail, rabbi. He comes up to him and he gives him a kiss on the cheek. And Jesus looks at him. I can't imagine how the brokenness that he felt rejection. This is one of the 12 that he's been poured in. He knew he was going to do it. But again, he was still a man. And he looks at him and he says, Judas, you betray the son of man with a kiss. And then can you imagine Judas looking into the eyes of Jesus, perfect, sinless, and what he felt in that moment when he realized, what, what have I done? And then the guards grab Jesus. His disciples flee. They run. Abandon him alone. And they had all said, even Peter, he's like, I'll never die. I'll never deny you, Jesus, even though Jesus told him, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'll die before I deny you. He runs off. Of course, he cut a guy's ear off first. and And then he ran off. But Peter follows at a distance. So Jesus, they take Jesus to Caiaphas's house. And they set up this unlawful trial in the middle of the night and they start bringing accusations against Jesus and they did, none of them line up so it's just complete because it's hogwash I mean Jesus was perfect he was he was sinless he hadn't done anything wrong but they're trying to accuse him of all these different things finally the high priest has enough and Calvin says all right I put you under oath by the living God tell us are you the son of God and Jesus says And then Caiaphas rips his robe. He says, blasphemy. You have all heard his blasphemy. What is he deserving of? And everyone cries out, death. And so then in this moment, they start to, they start to beat him, spit on him. The Bible says they blindfold him. They hit him and say, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who hits you? And then all this is happening. Peter's in the courtyard. He's being questioned, and they're saying, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? He's like, no, no, I I don't don't know him. Another guy comes up, no, your speech betrays you. You're a Galilean. I I think I've seen you with him. Aren't you one of them? He's like, no, 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 I don't know the man. Servant girl comes up, says, no, I've seen you with him. You are one of his disciples. And he starts to curse and swear and say, I do not know the man. And then a rooster crows. And it says in Luke that he looks through a window and he catches eyes with Jesus. And then he runs off and he weeps bitterly. Jesus is completely alone. They take him the next morning to Pilate because they want him to be killed. They can't do it. So they go to Pilate, the governor of the Roman governor of the area, and 
He's like, listen, I don't see anything wrong with him. He interrogates him. I don't see anything wrong. Plus, he's, he's in Herod's district, so take him to Herod. So they go and they take him to Herod, and then Herod's like, I don't see anything wrong. And he takes, sends him back to Pilate. So they go back to Pilate, and they're like, no. He, he, and then they, start, they finally start paying off people to cause a riot. Like, they're just trying to get this to happen, so desperate. And so finally, Pilate's like, okay, I will have him scourged, and then I will release him. And so he takes Jesus, and then they strip him of his clothes, and they tie him to a whipping post, with his whole body stretched out where his like, feet are barely touching the ground like this. And they start with beating him with rods. These are Roman soldiers, mind you, strong guys. And they're beating him with these rods back and forth. And then they take the cat of nine tails, the whip with little shards of glass and pottery and bone that were tied into that, nine strips of leather that catches, like, it's like hooks. And so they begin to whip him. 39 times. And a lot of people believe, some scholars believe because of the publicity of the event, they, they went a little farther. So Jesus is being ripped open. And this is all, he's willingly submitting himself to all of this. And so he, he's beaten, he's ripped open. Then the Roman soldiers take him, they begin to mock him, and they create a crown of thorns and they press it down on his skull to where it's piercing his skull. And then they put a robe on him and begin to mock him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and hit him over the head. And this is after they had, had ripped him up, apart. And so then Jesus comes back before the people. Pilate says, behold the man. And he says, okay, I got to get rid of this guy. He hasn't done anything wrong. I got to release him. So he says, hey, I have two prisoners here, and every year I release one of the prisoners to you. This is kind of my thing. So I have Jesus, who's called King of the Jews, and Barabbas, who's a thief and a murderer and a really terrible person. So who should I release to you? And then the religious leaders tell him, Barabbas, say Barabbas. And so they all shout out Barabbas, and he's like, uh, are you sure? Barabbas, okay, you're released. What do you want me to do with Jesus then? He's called the king of the Jews. Crucify him. And then Pilate even says, why? What evil has he done? And they just yell out all the more, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. So Pilate takes a bowl of water. He washes his hands and he says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. Because his wife had had dreams that had just ter terrorized her. He's like, I'm innocent of this man's blood. You see to it. And they said, the crowd says in unison, let his blood be on us and our children. Like, we'll take the guilt, but they didn't realize what they were saying. They are prophesying his blood would cover them and their children to wash them clean. So they take Jesus, they make him carry the cross all the way outside the city to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And he falls under the weight of it. It's, it's too heavy. I mean, he's been beaten beyond recognition so Simon of Cyrene comes. He helps him carry the cross. He gets outside the city. They take Jesus. They lay him down on this cross. They rip him, strip him completely naked of any clothes. Completely just shame. And then they take nails, put them through his wrists and his feet. On a central nerve, send searing hot pain through his entire body. And then they raise him up. He drops down into the hole pain all throughout and then as the way he was positioned on the cross he had to push up on the nail in his feet 
to, to breathe, to catch a breath, the way, the way they did it. I don't know how, exactly how it works. But he was there, and from this place of just utter torture and torment, they're still mocking him. Hey, if you're the son of God, why don't you come down off the cross? And then we'll believe you. Prove it to us. Come down from the cross, and then, and then we'll follow you. And so Jesus, as he's there on the cross, he says four different things from the cross. And I believe that these things represent what Christ purchased for us through his death. First of all, he's there. He's on the cross. There's a thief on his right and his left. The people are, again, still persecuting him, saying, mocking him. And so the thief over here says to him, yeah, he mocks him too. He's like, yeah, if, if you are the son of God, why don't you save yourself and then save us too? And then the, the thief on the other side says, what is wrong with you? Do you have no fear of God? We deserve this punishment. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he looks at Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you enter your kingdom? And Jesus looks at him and he says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Through the cross of Jesus, we've been made free from sin and death. He's made a way for us to be saved. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has made us free from the law of sin and death. And as Jesus was on the cross, John, his disciple, was there, the only one that came back, and his mother, Mary. Jesus looks down at him and he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. While Jesus is on the cross, he's taking care of his mom. And I believe this represents the fact that in Christ, the cross of Jesus, because of the cross of Jesus, We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been brought in. Ephesians 1.5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Romans 8.15, so you have not received a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. His spirit, spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we've been adopted into the family of God. Nothing that we've done, but what Christ has done. And then as he hung on the cross and, and the people that crucified him were continuing to mock him, Jesus cries out for justice from the cross. Now, he could call down angels. He could wipe everybody out. And his, here's his cry of justice. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Through the cross of Jesus, our sin, which is red like scarlet, is made as white as snow. We've been forgiven and made clean. Colossians 3 12 through 15, you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. 
Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Amen. And then the last thing, Jesus is there. And right before he dies, he looks up to the father and he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then he passes. Through the cross of Jesus, we have an assurance and a security with God. John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hands. So if you're here and you're feeling enslaved, just you're in a place where habitual sin, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's a a thought process and you just feel like you're bound, like sin has got a hold on you. Jesus purchased our freedom from sin and death. We do not have to be slaves of sin anymore because of what Christ accomplished on the cross. We are not slaves of sin. No, we are not under the dominion of sin any longer. We're under the dominion of grace, Romans 5 says. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so Jesus died to set us free. Maybe you've experienced some abandonment or rejection or you're currently in a place where you just feel like you don't belong. You're not accepted somewhere. Like maybe it's loneliness. Jesus died so that you could be adopted into the family. So you're a part. He wants you, you in his family. He wants you in relationship with him and his people. He's desperate for it to the point of the cross, desperate, so that you could be a son and daughter of God. And Jesus purchased that for you. So now God proclaims that over every one of us here. He says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. And you belong in my family. I want you. No no one else wants me. Well, I want you. So much so, I went to the cross for it. That's how desperate I am for you to be in this family. You are accepted. The Bible says that he has made us accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1.6. Made us accepted. No matter how much we want to push God away, he's like, no, no, no. You're in my family. Maybe it's, it's guilt or feeling like you just can't measure up. You're not meeting the mark. Like you're trying, you're trying to do right. It's not like you're living in sin, but you just feel like you're, you're just never enough. And the enemy just continues to just shower you with condemnation and shame, saying, yeah, you're not going to do it. And just guilt, and it just weighs you down. Jesus died so that we could be made righteous through him. He's declared us, in, in, in Romans 3, he's declared us 
God's declaration that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God's declared that. And he's right. Because of our faith in him, we've been, we've been declared righteous. We're holy, blameless before God in love. Not because we did something amazing, because he did. And we've been forgiven. And we are clean. He's removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And the Bible says he remembers them no more. That's powerful. God's made us clean. And when you feel dirty, remember, Christ died to make us clean. And then maybe it's fear or anxiety. Maybe you felt overwhelmed by that. Just worries of this life. Worries about money or about your job or about your family or a relationship or a boss or whatever it is. And anxiety is just wearing you down. And fear, that fear is just wearing you down. Jesus is a strong tower that the righteous can run into and be safe. He is our fortress, our refuge, our rock. Under his wings we can take refuge. He's a safe place. He's bought security and assurance for us as his children, and we belong to him. So no matter what storms are going on out there, God can speak to our hearts in the middle of the storm. Peace, be still. And we can experience a supernatural peace that passes all understanding. All of this came through Jesus. Because of his sacrifice, he purchased, Ephesians 1.8, he purchased our freedom. He purchased it. It came at a cost, and the cost was high. So then the question is, what do we do with this freedom? Just like, it reminds me of Braveheart. What shall you do with that freedom? What are we going to do with it? What's our response to this sacrifice, to what Christ has done? How do we respond? Romans 12, 1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way. To worship him. Another transition says, this is your reasonable service. Reasonable. In light of the gospel, in light of Christ's sacrifice, the only rational and reasonable response to that, to not only our creator, but our savior, is complete surrender. That's it. That's the only reasonable response. Is all we have. Complete surrender to Jesus. The true way to worship him. It goes beyond a song. It's a life song. There's that, that song by Casting Crowns, a life song, I think. But that's the idea. It's that our life is a song of worship. Every moment, every day, every action, every relationship, everything is an act of worship. I'm doing this for you. I'm dedicating this to you. I'm surrendered. Everything I have, it's you, Jesus. That's my reasonable service. 
It's the only rational response to this kind of sacrifice is all that I have is yours. Everything within me. The passion of Jesus is an invitation to a passionate pursuit of him. The passion of Jesus is an invitation to a passionate pursuit of him. An all-in pursuit, loving God with all of our heart. All of our heart. All of our heart. All of our mind. All of our soul and all of our strength. Loving him with all. When we see the passion of Jesus, it should incite in us passion. This is it. I'm all in from this day forward is Jesus. He and he alone is worthy of my praise. He's worthy of my affection. He is worthy of my time. He is worthy of my strength. He is worthy of everything that I have, everything that I own, and I give it to him. So Lord, submit our hearts to your truth. Lord, will you plant seeds in us? Will you impart to us something powerful? Lord, complete surrender. God, will you stir up gratitude within us in worship and awe and may your passion produce passion in return. We love you, Jesus.